Hello, I'm Tony Denbach, the lead pastor of Clearview Community Church, one church in multiple locations serving the communities of the Georgian Triangle. Thank you so much for joining with us today. I love the way that Rick Warren began his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life. He said very simply, it's not about you. See, God has placed us here on this planet, and he designed us for community. The truth is that we need each other, even those of you who won't admit it. Now, we here at Clearview Community Church understand that. Each of us is a recipient of the grace of God, who is in the process of restoring us to full relationship with himself and with others. That's what the church is all about. We believe in God and he believes in you. Because of that, we believe in you too. Not because any of us are all that in and of ourselves, but because each of us was created in the image of God. Now, that image has been marred by this sinful world and by our bad choices, but it's still there. So Dr. Tony Evans wrote, the definition of a church is a community of believers who convince you you can make it, then stand beside you while you try. Now, that's not the end of the story, though. We're not redeemed to sit, soak, and sour. We're changed so that we can join up with what God is doing and make a difference in our world. As William Temple said, the church exists for the sake of those outside of it. We need to remember that. So I want to encourage you this morning to try to broaden your view of the church and the world. Now, as we look back at the scriptures, we see story after story of God's intervention in human affairs. Each of those stories began with a challenge to be faced, and many of those challenges appeared to be of the impossible variety. Almost without exception, those stories also included an ordinary human being whose heart God had touched. There was a nation to be saved. There were hurting people to be helped. Or there was an enemy to be confronted. Now, things haven't changed all that much. Every day, we see families in need of help, and we see people fighting addictions or health issues beyond their control. Others are fighting to overcome events of their past or facing economic challenges that have them treading water or even sinking. Many others are struggling to find meaning in a culture that glorifies celebrity and trivializes the sacred. So as we look at the big picture today, the challenges facing us as families, as a church, and as a community what are the lessons we can learn from Scripture? Now, as I was studying for this message and reading about how God interacts with us, I noticed how often there are questions involved. So I'd like to deal with three of those questions that I found in the Bible and look at them in our context right here in Clearview. See, the first question comes from Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It's this. What is that in your hand? See, this question came from an encounter between God and Moses. The nation of Israel had been suffering under the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, and things were going from bad to worse. Moses, who was a Jew but had been raised in Pharaoh's house as an Egyptian prince, 
had gotten so angry about what he had seen about the treatment of the Jews at the hands of the Egyptians that he had murdered an Egyptian. This forced him into exile in the desert, far from home. Some 40 years later, God came calling. It was time for the Jews to be free, and Moses was God's choice to lead them. Now, he was very quick with the excuses. I don't speak well. I'm not smart enough. My suit's at the dry cleaners. Finally, he asked God, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And God's answer is our first question. What is that in your hand? It was an interesting question. It wasn't like he had a nuclear weapon in his hand. He didn't have something helpful, like the latest book on diplomacy, or even the private number of the Assyrian king. He had a simple shepherd's staff, a piece of wood. God said, throw it down, and instantly it became a snake. He ran, but God told him to grab it by the tail. When he did, it became a staff again. Well, what's the point of all this? God was letting Moses know that the challenges he faced were not anything to worry about. This battle was God's battle, and he had it all under control. Whatever God had placed at Moses' disposal was enough. Now, that's a principle that we all need to learn. When God calls us to do something, often the first thing we do after measuring the challenge is to look around at our limitations. We go through the list of our deficiencies, and the lesson to be learned here is that when God calls us to do something, He will take care of the details. Now, I believe that God is asking all of us this very same question, and He asks it repeatedly. What is that in your hand? What do you have that may seem so very ordinary to you, but that could be exactly what God is looking for? It could be your business sense. It could be your athletic ability. It could be your mechanical or woodworking or seamstress skills. It could be any number of things. See, one of the biggest lessons that we've learned over the years here at CCC is that all that we have is God's, given to us to bless those around us and to make a difference. Now, that's true as a church. It's also true as individuals. When we use what we have in obedience to God, he makes the miraculous happen. It's like David with his little shepherd sling and stones from the creek bed. It certainly didn't intimidate the giant Goliath, but it was what he had, and God used him to bring down the giant. So what is that in your hand? The second question is taken from John chapter 6 and verses 8 and 9. And here's the question. What are they among so many? It's a famous story. See, Jesus had traveled out into the wilderness and huge crowds of people had followed him. They had been walking for a while and they were tired and hungry. So Jesus told his disciples to find them something to eat. There were 5,000 men plus women and children. So it was a huge crowd. They weren't near a town. So there was no bakery to provide food, even if they had the money to buy it. And as the disciples began to explore the options available to them, Andrew spoke up and said this, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. And then the question, but what are they among so many? The impl implication is clear here. What we have is not enough. 
But he was saying more than that. With that question, Andrew was saying that the needs of all of these people could not be met here in this place on this day. It's impossible. He was giving a very simple mathematical equation. Five loaves plus two fish does not equal food for thousands. And he was correct. In human terms, this was an impossibility. The disciples were certainly not capable of manufacturing an answer to this dilemma. But they didn't account for Jesus in their equation. You see, five loaves plus two fish plus Jesus is more than enough food for thousands. In fact, the story tells us that the disciples collected more after they were done than they had when they started. Now, that's impossible. Exactly. That's why Jesus had each of the disciples collect a basket of their own so they could look at it, so they could see for themselves what God is able to do. So what's the lesson? When we give God what we have, he takes care of the rest. Or at a deeper level, we must first give God what we have if we expect him to meet our needs and the needs of those around us. We're surrounded by seemingly insurmountable problems in our world today. There are many days when in our human nature, we see the situation and ask the question, what are they among so many? But God loves to use the small, seemingly insignificant things and people of this world to do things that were never thought possible. I love the fact that for one of Jesus' more famous miracles to occur, it first took the step of faith of a little boy. Do you want to change the world? It starts with one small step. Bring what you have and offer it to Jesus. Watch what will happen. Now, the third question comes from John, the first chapter, and it speaks of expectation. See, Jesus was beginning his ministry. He had just been baptized by John the Baptist out of obedience. And by the way, if Jesus submitted to baptism, so should you. Then he began to preach and to recruit the disciples who would follow him. Now, one of those disciples was Philip. When Jesus called him, Philip excitedly went to call his good friend Nathanael. And he told Nathanael in John 1, 45 and 46, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, the response from Nathanael was so typical of people. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip simply said to him, Come and see. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, what was he saying? What was he asking? He was expressing the thoughts of so many people at so many places, at so many points throughout history. In common language, what he was saying was this, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> really, Philip? The Savior? The Messiah? The Promised One? From Nazareth? That's not the way it works. See, everyone knows that the only people who can make a difference in this world are people who are born to the right people in the right places at the right time. They have all of the opportunities. They have the right teachers, they have the right DNA, they have the trust fund, they have the political connections, you know, maybe Jerusalem in that day, but they certainly don't come from some hick town like Stainer, I mean Nazareth. <laughs> See, it's funny how people think so differently than God does. 
When the Jewish people were being harassed and intimidated by a huge Midianite army, God went looking for a hero, and he was out hiding out in a wine press, threshing his wheat. He was from the lowest family, from the lowest clan, from the lowest tribe in all of Israel. And God says, perfect, just the guy that I'm looking for. See, when King Saul blew it and messed up, God sent Samuel out to Jesse's home to anoint a new king for Israel. Samuel and Jesse just assumed that God would choose the oldest and the strongest. And so he had all of the sons line up by age, and God went on down the list through all of the brothers until there were none left. And Samuel had to ask this, is this all? Is there anybody left? Jesse said there was one more, but the little guy was out in the fields keeping an eye on the sheep. Sure enough, God chose David, the little shepherd boy, the shepherd king. He also used people like Rahab, a former prostitute who would go on to become one of the ancestors of Jesus himself. Really? Yes, really. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 28, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Can anything good come out of Stainer or Collingwood or Wasaga Beach or Glen Cairn or Nottawa? Take your pick. Can we really make any kind of a difference? Absolutely. See, I'm firmly convinced that some world shakers are watching right now, well disguised as ordinary people. See, I remember when I started my pastorate in Stainer back in 1996, long time ago. I preached a message entitled, We Begin Here. And to impress everyone, I had three points, just like a real preacher. We begin with the word. Number two, we begin with the cross. And number three, we begin with understanding. See, the word is foundational, the Bible. It is the ground on which we build our lives. God's word can be relied on. In that word, we learn the truth about ourselves. We are created in the image of God. The second, the cross, brought our salvation. It is where Jesus gave his life so that we could find ours. And the last point is an important one. This one will make you or break you. It has two parts. Firstly, we need to understand that we are but men. We have to understand this. We are flawed. We make mistakes. We have limitations and we have weaknesses. We're certainly not perfect. But secondly, we need to understand who God is. We need to know that when we do the possible, God does the impossible. This lack of understanding of who God is was a big reason that there was so much idolatry in the Old Testament. Now, idolatry is simply setting something or someone else up in place of God. For the ancient Jews, that was sometimes images made of metal or wood or stone. Sometimes it was nations that they appealed to for help instead of relying on the one true God. See, people make idols of all kinds of things. Some people make idols of their children. They place them above God. 
Some do the same with their spouse, with their career, with their money, you name it. There's a reason that in the first commandment, God tells us this, you shall have no other gods before me. See, the Bible reveals to us a God who is all-powerful, who spoke the world into existence. Now, I love this quote from S.M. Lockridge, an old-school preacher from a long time ago. He said, God stepped from behind the curtain of nowhere onto the platform of nothing and spoke a world into existence. The reason God came from nowhere is because there wasn't anywhere for him to come from. And coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing. And the reason he stood on nothing was because there was nothing on which to stand. And standing on nothing, he reached out there was where there was nowhere and caught something when there was nothing to catch and hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. Then standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his own will and he struck the anvil of his omnipotence and sparks flew everywhere. He caught those sparks on the tips of his fingers and flung them into space and bedecked the heavens with stars. And nobody said a word. The reason nobody said anything was because there wasn't anybody there to say anything. So God himself said, that's good. How big is your God? Well, think big and then think bigger. As Paul was concluding his prayer for the church in Ephesians chapter 3, he said this about God, that he was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So here's the question. What is that in your hand? Would you pray with me today? Dear God, you made each of us and created us with different gifts, talents, abilities, and responsibilities. Help us to remember who you are. Help us not to limit what can be accomplished when we're willing to walk with you and not to try to go it alone. Help us to give you what you've given to us so that you can use us for your glory. Teach us to trust you and follow where you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're following along with us, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at the address on the screen or find us online at clearviewcommunity.church. Now, may the strength of God sustain us. May the power of God preserve us. May the hands of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the love of God go with us this day and forever. Amen. The Lord bless and keep you. Thanks for watching.